everybody, and welcome into the Great Scott Show, the great sports callers open think tank, ESPN Live, be at the best ticket in sports going up on a Tuesday. We are halfway through, well, actually more than halfway through February. That short month always gets me. We are two weeks away from the NFL scouting combine. A pair of occasions are set to participate in Percy Butler and Max Mitchell. And I think for the avid, most hardcore NFL fans, you know, the combine is kind of like a palate cleanser. Uh, they'll be there. Nine players for LSU will be there. Uh, Deshaun Dixon, Cajun fans. Remember that cat for Nickel State and what he did in the game of Cajun Field last uh, September? He'll be there. Um, Cole Kelly, Turling's alum, Southeastern quarterback. He will be there. But, you know, I, I want to open up the segment, briefly talk about football, and then we're going to slip into some other sports. Shea Walker will be in the studio in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll do Terrible Tune Tuesday. We will talk a little bit about the Super Bowl halftime show. We'll talk a lot of Cajun sports, including the baseball team, whose season begins this Friday against UC Irvine. Uh, Coach Matt Deggs, I recorded an interview with him yesterday. That will actually be uh, airing tomorrow on the show. I've got Coach Broadhead. I have Coach Marlin, Rage Cage women's and men's basketball coaches. And I have Coach Glasgow. His team coming off of a weekend where they won 46 to nothing in five combined games. But uh, I spoke to Coach Glasgow yesterday over at the facility and uh, going to play that conversation for you here. A little bit later on this hour, you know, yesterday morning, it was so Super Bowl-centric. And, you know, we had a lot of callers. We had a lot of listeners, a lot of feedback, still going through some emails. And the more I think about it, as as awesome as Cooper Cup was, I mean, the guy won the Triple Crown. He led the league in receptions and receiving yards and touchdowns and all this stuff. And now he's a Super Bowl MVP. And he was great on that final drive. Aaron Donald was the MVP of that game. He should have been Super Bowl MVP. Oh, you know, they were double-team in Cup. Realize Donald is double or triple-teamed every single play as an interior D lineman. Still had two sacks, three knockdowns, and uh, a tackle of P. Ryan there on the third and one to set up the fourth and one where he then got to Joe Burrow to end the game. He was wreaking havoc all game long. His stats were stronger in the second half, but uh, also, you know, really, really good in the first half, just in terms of his impact. So the more I thought about that, the more I'm like, you know what? I think it would have gone with Aaron Donald there. But about, you know, a few plays he made, I was just reminded of how many small things have to happen for a team to win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, go back. When the Rams went into the playoffs, they were not playing great ball. They had lost to the Niners. Saints fans remember well. And then they played a Monday night game against Arizona which was the perfect opponent for him. I mean, they just, they handled the Cardinals. Then they almost blew a large lead to the Buccaneers. They tried to lose it. And then they played the Niners again. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan was, uh, let's just say, not doing his best job as a coach in crucial moments, which there's a history there. And the Rams seized the opportunity in every moment, and they overcame a lot in the Super Bowl. I mean, you lose the turnover battle, you, uh, you, there were a lot of things that didn't go their way, but in the end they won. But a lot of things have to happen. But I was thinking, man, it feels like a year ago they played that Monday night playoff game against the Cardinals, which was a lousy game. You know, the first round of the playoffs was bad, but the divisional round, the championship round, and the Super Bowl, you know, at the very least went into the final minute. 
I, I hadn't, I mean, God, that, that first wild card round seems so long ago. But I thought about it yesterday in reading a story about Kyler Murray. This has to be concerning if you're somebody that roots for Murray or roots for the Cardinals. Apparently the playoff game, game had been decided. There's a minute or so left, right? You go out there, either you hand it off, you take it, you whatever. Game's over. Murray did not want to go back into the game. Game was over. They had lost. He was, he was going out. He just said, no, I don't want to go. I'm out. I don't want to, I don't want to play. This is per Mike Garaflo of the NFL Network. And Colt McCoy, veteran backup, really, he basically talked him into it. He's like, you really need to, trust me. Murray was banged up at that point, but the game's over. All you got to do is go out there and throw it a few times. And Apparently, um, yeah. The Cardinals organization, the staff, and some players were not too crazy about that. Lots been made of Murray, and you know he's only 24, but deleting the Cardinals on social media and all this very younger generational thing. But it's it's telling in a lot of ways. And uh, you know he is, according to reports, doesn't like to take a lot of blame. Says that uh, Graffalo said, look, they got a lot of work to do. It was a Chris Mortensen said that one source described him as, you know, a bit immature and a finger pointer. Look, the Cardinals aren't changing. Any, they're, they're, not, they're not moving on. He is their guy. He is their quarterback. And he has had two good half seasons the last two years. It's the latter part of the season where they start to fall apart, which is stuff that Kling's, Cliff Kingsbury teams do, whether it be a Texas Tech or whether it be in the NFL with Arizona. But they had to release a statement saying nothing's changed. We hold him in high regard. He's the, you know, he's improved each year. We can't wait for 2022. He's our quarterback. Teams usually don't have to release a statement like that in February. Keep an eye on this story moving forward. Guy asking out of a game because it's over and he just doesn't want to play. That, that would concern the heck out of me. Oh, he was a little nicked up. A little nicked up. Was he seriously injured? No. Could he go out there and finish the game? Yeah. But he didn't want to get... I don't know. It's worth noting. College hoops. Auburn out of the number one spot. Gonzaga sits at number one right now. We're going to talk college basketball in the next segment. Coach Gary Broadhead, Rage Cajun women's coach. Cajun's uh, heartbreaking loss on Thursday. My goodness. We're going to talk to him about that, about the win on Saturday. We'll talk to Coach Bob Marlin. Men's team has lost 8 of 10. Turnovers are really killing them right now. We will dig into that. We'll talk some college hoops in the 8 o'clock hour with Jay Walker. We'll also talk some college baseball. Cajuns begin their season this Friday at Russo Park. Coach Degg's on the show with me tomorrow. Coach Glasgow, Raging Cajun softball coach. They're off to a 5-0 and start. He will join me a little bit later on this hour. You don't want to go anywhere. You're listening to The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. talk that's so legit it smells like beer and chicken wings i mean can't you smell it i'm smelling barbecue too espn lafayette espn lafayette.com and the espn lafayette app 
ESPN. ESPN. Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Back into the great Scott show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining me now is Promise, the head coach of the Rage Occasion women's basketball team, Coach Gary Broadhead. They uh, split their games in Texas, and um, you know, a, a heartbreaker on Thursday, an impressive win on Saturday. And here to talk to us about it and what's coming up is the head coach of the women's basketball team, Coach Gary Broadhead. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good, doing good, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I, um, you know, I, I think of I, excuse me. I'll start on, you know, the the loss, and then we'll get to the wins. A couple of your losses this year, coach. They're so close, right? I look at the last two. Just one point. You guys are right there, and I know Thursday, um, losing in overtime. It's a it's a late rebound, a putback. Uh, how does, you know, when when you have a defeat like that, because we've talked about it, right? It's Sometimes it's easier to wash it. Maybe you weren't as close in than a super close one. How do you utilize that, right? How do you weaponize that in a good way to to basically a learning experience and fuel your team to where, you know what, if, if we come in this situation again, we're, we're going to be ready for it? Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, I think with the pandemic, you kind of learn, you know, you through adversity and all that. And, you know, usually when you lose that close of a game, you some adversity that, you know, or some things that you didn't handle, and, you know, you learn from it. And I think uh, you get uh, uh, players, coaches, everybody, it's more, uh, we're more attentive to it, I think, than a, a blowout or, you know, getting beat bad, you know, you you kind of feel bad, but when it's really close and you had the opportunity, man, you think about, hey, should I call a timeout? Should we pass it out? So many scenarios, you know, that could have happened, should have blocked out and all that. So, yeah, it makes it tough. You know, it still hurts. I mean, those two games that you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about with three seconds left, we winning, you know. How many times is that going to happen, you know, that you – you three seconds uh, left or one second left, and, and you got a one point lead or a two point lead, and you lose it. You know, so that. Does. How did you feel about? I guess the the final, you know, on the on one end of the floor. I mean, I know they're not calling everything. Look like it could have been a foul, and then at the end of the day, you still have a chance for that rebound there. Just take us through the final sequence from uh, from your vision and and what unfolded. Man, I was standing on the baseline when it happened. You know. Uh, D. Rice, our point guard, drove and got a pretty good sh- uh, look at the layup um, and missed it. But Ty got the rebound, and she was in perfect position. You know, she got kind of got pushed on the rebound, which I thought was a foul, but they didn't call it. So she goes back. You know, at that point, uh, Mamie Harmon was on uh, kind of on the on the wing. She could have thrown it. There was eight seconds left. They could have thrown it back out. That to me, that was going to be a dangerous pass. And I mean, Ty usually scores when she's underneath the basket like that. And she went up and I mean, I, I went back and looked at it. She got fouled. I mean, she got hit on the it looked, arm. It looked like it. They, I mean, it, 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 it no, didn't, she, I, it, I watched it. It didn't look I like one of those. It, it, well, it was close. I mean, it, it looked like a pretty clear foul. Yeah, it was a foul. They hit her right on the arm and that, that's what made it go short. 
and then they got the rebound. So, you know, you're on the baseline. My luck would have been if I'd have called a timeout, she'd have made it. And then everybody had been looking at me why you called a timeout. And I felt, you know what, I, I, when I go back and look at it, I, I always say, hey, we did what we, what, we, what we want to do in the moment. And that's kind of what happened. And then, so we come down and we make them take a bad shot, you know, with uh, two seconds left. Uh, they throw up the three. It wasn't even close. And, uh, you know, 25, Thompson just was kind of wide open in running to the basket and got the rebound. And, I mean, it kind of, I actually kind of, the ball kind of bounced off their hands, too. And she just kind of threw it up and it went in, you know, with no time left. So, yeah, that, that's a tough loss, you know, kind of like the Little Rock loss, you know. It's just those are tough losses when you had that opportunity, you know, to to finish it off. Well, you bounce back, Coach Broadhead, our guest, on Saturday, Coach. And, you know, from where I'm I'm looking at it, I thought, I mean, and, and I want your thoughts on it, I, I felt like maybe the biggest key to the game, the job's hit on, on Star Jacobs. I mean, she is she's a great player for the Mavs, and, I know, you know, Ty Doucette had the assignment some, the Tamara Johnson. I mean, you mixed it up, and defensively, how you – I know that offense is on the stat sheet, right, and that's where a lot of folks look, but I just thought defensively the job y'all did on her was a, a major key to that win. You know, I think they, you know, they kind of switched it up to kind of help us out. Before, they were running a 3-2 zone, and she would kind of leak out. You know, when they would shoot, they were rebounding with four people, and she'd kind of leak out. And even if we ran a, a small guard with it, she was able to beat us down the floor. And we really worked on it, you know, and focused on trying to make sure that we were sprinting back three on our shot. And I think our guards did a great job of getting back. But they kind of moved her around. They moved her actually to the wing, and they put the Smith kid that was kind of hurt at the top of their zone, and she couldn't leak out as much. She's yeah. not as athletic and as quick. So I think that kind of helped us for a while. Uh, but yeah, I think that was a big thing, you know, stars. I mean, she probably got 15 fast break points the first time we played her. And this time, uh, I think she ended up with maybe five at the most. Uh, so I thought we did a pretty good job on her. You know, Ty said did a good job inside. I think everybody else did a pretty good job of keeping all of the boards on the offensive side. And yeah, she's a, she's, she's a scorer, man. I mean, that's what she does. She's very athletic and get up and down the floor and, I thought uh, defensively we did a, you know, we made the stops when we needed to make the stops. Yeah, 10 lead changes in that one, but uh, the difference was sort of in the fourth quarter when the going got tough, you guys uh, you guys closed it out on Saturday. And now you had Thursday game this week. You have a trip to Monroe on Saturday. Uh, do you like the, the break in the schedule, Coach, or are you – I feel like you'd prefer if you guys could get right back out on the floor and, and play today, but – you like having that break in the schedule this late in the season? Uh, I think it helps a little bit, you know, with uh, some of the nagging injuries we have right now, you know, to kind of rest some of the kids. I think that's good. But, you know, I'm, I'm heading out on Wednesday to recruit. I'm going to be in Oklahoma, I mean, in Missouri <laughs> recruiting. So there's no break for us. So, yeah, it kind of helps that uh, in our recruiting, I get to go watch some junior college games and stuff. Uh, so it's uh, it kind of worked out good right now because I need to get out and, and, uh, and do some of that uh, and then, you know, some of the injuries that we have, and we have some nagging injuries and stuff, we get to do some treatment and all that. And today we got a big day. We're doing a community service at N.P. Moss, the new school. I mean, the old school that reopened. Uh, we're going to start a mentor program with them. So it, this week really, uh, it worked out good. I'd rather be playing, though. I'm like you. I mean, I think when you get in the flow of, of playing every Thursday, Saturday, and 
you get in a routine for us as a as a young team, I think it helps. But you know, it's just the way the schedule felt, and we're going to utilize this time to do some other things that are positive and make a difference to the community as you guys always do. Coach Broadhead, our guest, uh, yeah, this uh, this Saturday at ULM, the next week at the Cajun Dome, Georgia State and Georgia, Georgia Southern, three games left in the regular season, and then it's over to Pensacola, where uh, last year Cajuns. Uh, got to the championship game, almost almost won it all. I know that's the goal. Coach, we always appreciate you taking the time, man. Did uh, did you enjoy the Super Bowl? I did, man. I, I told you when we got watched it, and, man, we just uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I, we were kind of pulling for Joe and, you know, kind of fell a little short. But uh, I thought it was a great game. You know, I like a defensive game. I tell you, that both defenses were really, really good, I thought. And, you know, um, I enjoy, I really enjoyed it. It was it was fun to watch. There you go. Keep it keep small crowd. Watch with the family. That's the way to do it. I uh, I was in a big crowd for a half and had kids running everywhere. So second half, I'm like, yeah, we got to go home and y'all going to bed. I gotta, you know, I got to watch this thing. And that's what we did. Uh, I appreciate the time, coach. All the best, man. Um, safe travels on the road recruiting, and uh, we'll catch up with you again next week. I appreciate it, Scott. Go Cajuns. All right, so now we'll welcome on Louisiana men's basketball coach Bob Marlin as we shift gears from the women's side to the men's side. Uh, Cajuns coming off a uh, tough defeat on Saturday uh, at the Cajun Dome, falling overtime to UT Arlington. Here to talk about uh, last week and what's to come. Got two against ULM this week. Road and home is head coach Bob Marlin. Good morning, coach. How you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, you, you, I, I would ask you... Um, you know, with your team having lost eight to ten, how to stop the bleeding? But I feel like you kind of addressed it Saturday. Like turnovers, uh, it, it seems to be something that if you clean that area up, so much could change for this team. What's the what's the issue with turnovers right now in this ball club? Well, it started uh, shoot this this summer, I guess, Scott. In a way, we we just didn't take care of the ball the way we needed to when we started practice and, and uh guard play's not been as consistent as we are good enough really to win uh and close games and we've got to get better in that area but it's not just on the guards it's on other guys for decisions and we've had the lead in uh the second half middle of the second half of every conference game we've played except for at jonesboro so we just got to learn how to be mature and disciplined and, and finish games yeah, it's uh, the late in games. You mentioned it having the lead last week, the two games uh, at the Cajun Dome, late leads, just closing out in turnovers. If if you shore those two things up, you feel like things can turn around, but got also late in the season, right? You got four regular season games left and then the conference tournament in Pensacola. So what's the mindset sort of in practice this week before you have these uh, these two against Monroe? Trying to get ready for an arch rival, knowing that uh, Monroe will play us hard. They play about seven or eight guys, and they've they've come together and they played better basketball recently than we have. So we've got to got to go up to Fant Ewing and make sure that we play well on Thursday and hang on the ball, give ourselves an opportunity to win. I want to ask you briefly about uh, Brian Au. I know he's in terms of how much he can play in minutes. You know, getting the start playing a little bit more. Uh, where is he at, in, 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 you know, from what you're seeing from a conditioning standpoint, and can we expect to see more of him, or is this about kind of where we're at with AU at this point in the season? Well, he's played 20 minutes and, what, 17 this past week, and I uh, thought he gave us really good minutes in, in the Texas State game uh, for sure and did some good things in this game. But hopefully we can get his conditioning up and, and keep his legs strong where he 
continue to play. I, I like the amount of time that he's playing. I, I mentioned, I'm sorry, we'll circle back. You were just talking about ULM. Um, having them back-to-back, I know last season certainly that was common for everybody. Uh, not the case this season. So in Monroe Thursday, then back on Saturday. What did last year teach you about facing a team back-to-back, and, and how can you utilize that, I guess, to your advantage this week? Well, it, it, it was a, a challenge, certainly, you know, to play the back-to-back with the COVID situation a year ago. I thought we were prepared for what went into it. Hard to get a sweep. It's hard to beat a conference team two nights in a row, no matter where you're playing. And, uh, that did help us a little bit. And then the, the, with the Monroe game last year, we played here on a Thursday night instead of Friday. We had the day off in between and went up and played Saturday and shot the ball really well up in Monroe and and beat those guys uh, convincingly there. So I think it helped last year, the prep, uh, but it's I like this part of it, of the conference uh, rivalry. I think it's good when the travel partners play each other in the same week. I'm for that for sure. Uh, Dugay, your senior uh, Saturday, the Cajun home final home game of the season. It is senior night, also United Way Food Drive. Uh, but he was he was a senior last year, so uh, does he just do it again? Is it kind of uh, same drill? What, what do you guys have planned for Saturday? Yeah, we had a jersey last year, a nice presentation for Dew and Cedric Russell, knowing that they could come back or may not be back. So this time we'll do uh, a, a short presentation for Dugay and uh, recognize him before the game against Monroe here next Saturday. You mentioned Cedric Russell, Coach. Whenever a a guy that plays for you um, finishes their career elsewhere, do you follow that closely? Do you usually keep in touch with that player? Is it it kind of, I guess, depend on each player, right? It it might not be. I guess that answer may not be universal across the board for you. Yeah, it's uh, we definitely keep in touch. And Cedric reaches out to me uh, every few weeks. Uh, you know, and and I haven't talked to him since January. So it's been about a month. I can't really, within the rules, Scott. I can't reach out to him because he's not on our team. And, gotcha. You know, which is as crazy as that is. It's like a, a child of yours that you can't speak to anymore, right? When you want to. Uh, but Seth keeps in touch with me, and and I do follow him. I know he had a good game uh, against Michigan and this this past week, and. Uh, he was frustrated early, you know, but he's they, they're they're winning some games now, and he's helping contribute to the team. So uh, it's a different situation he's ever been in, and hopefully he'll grow from it. Coach Marlin has been our guest. Um, you, you've been in coaching a long time, Coach. Uh, what in your mind, and, and the rules have changed somewhat, but what's an NCAA rule that personally you've just never really seen eye to eye with that you think it's all right? This is this is due for a change. Oh, goodness. I'm sure there are several, Scott. Uh, kind of caught me off guard with that. One. Right. I, I, I just thought of it when you brought up the you know, Cedric Russell thing. It wasn't like on my list this well, morning, but Yeah, well, that's that's a silly one, you know. And even back then, I can remember uh, when Coach Brown was at LSU and, and uh, you know, you try to take your team to a funeral or whatever, and you can't, you know, back then you couldn't do anything. So when you try to do stuff for the young men, then – it should be a positive, in my opinion, and look at it. It's true because now um, student-athlete welfare is very important. The guys are getting a lot of attention through COA or, uh, you know, uh, NILs, whatever. 
they're, they're getting more opportunities for themselves now. So that's the biggest thing that back then it was really holding the guys back, but now it's changed a little bit. Coach Bob Marlin has been our guest. Coach, uh, best of luck this week against ULM. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And um, in the meantime, if uh, if Cedric does reach out to you, tell him uh, all of us down here in Lafayette say hi. No, we'll do. All right, thanks, Scott. Thank you, Coach. All right, I appreciate Coach Marlin uh, coming on the show. You know, it's tough right now. It's frustrating. There's no other way to say it when it comes to uh, to Cajun hoops. Um, got some emails here. John emails. He says. Scott, I think you're wrong about Kyler Murray. I feel like the team put him out there to be decimated. Wouldn't you do the same thing? I, wouldn't I do the same thing? Would I not, like, take a few more snaps at the end of a playoff game when I was the face of a franchise? I mean, I, I, I'll never be in that situation, so it's hard to say would I do the same thing because I'm, you know, in my 40s and working radio. But sure, I do, you know, I'll answer your question. No, I would not do the same thing. Kyler Murray... I don't know, man. He's he's an odd one to to analyze. The ceiling's high. He's short. Reality is, yes, some short quarterbacks have done things in the NFL, but his style, Cliff Kingsbury, I just, I don't know, man. Not, you know, some guys just aren't great in interviews. I get it. Maybe that's the case, but to not finish out a game I mean, if you're if you're on that team and you you know that the game is over and you've lost and it's the playoffs, if the quarterbacks like nine going back in deal with it, I as a teammate, I don't know. I'm not surprised that the reports didn't sit well with them. I don't see I don't see how this is some hot take, John. I really don't. It'd be very concerning, and I don't know. I I I don't really know any Cardinal fans. I know they have you know a decent fan base, but. I don't know, man. I'd be concerned. Would I prefer to have Kyler Murray than not have a starting quarterback right now? Sure, I would. You know, the Saints don't even have that. They don't. I mean, they've got Taysom Hill under contract, and that's it. And Ian Book. Now, many feel like it'll be Jameis or someone else, but but look, Arizona's quarterback situation is better than a lot, a lot of teams around the league currently. But it it. it I would still be very concerned if the guy doesn't, you know, want to finish out a game because just because it's over and they lost in the playoffs, in any game, but in the playoffs. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. There was also, which isn't fair to Kyler, an erroneous report out there suggesting that he was uh, considering holding out for a contract that would pay him over 50 mil a year and number of notable blue check marks to cover the NFL said this is 100% completely false and not true. But there is something going on over there in uh, in Arizona. Anyway, we'll talk a little little more football in the 8 o'clock hour with Jay. Kind of get his thoughts on the game. We'll talk about the Super Bowl halftime show. We'll have Terrible Tune Tuesday. Jay Walker in studio with me. We will also uh, talk about uh, Rage of Cajun Baseball. Their season begins this Friday, we'll talk hoops, talk a little softball as well. Speaking of Cajun softball, the nationally ranked Rage of Cajuns, pretty good opening weekend, I would say. 5-0, and 146 to nothing. We'll talk to Coach Jerry Glasgow next right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. 
ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette, welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Louisiana Rage Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow joining me now. The Cajuns taking on uh, Nichols tonight over at Yvette Girard Field at Lamson Park. And uh, why don't we start with the atmosphere, Coach? Uh, I was talking with uh, with Bobby Nava earlier about how the kids handled that atmosphere. It was something that you and I talked about last week, you know, when recruits come. You don't take them to football games. You take them, you take them to, to to Lamson Park to take in the softball game. How did you feel like the players responded? I guess to the ambiance, the aesthetics. The, I guess, for lack of better words, the magic that comes with Lamson Park. Yeah, obviously, you know, I thought they handled it really well. I think it, it totally made them amped up and focused. And <clears throat> I thought they, I really thought they played with enthusiasm and and played the way, you know, as a coach, you dream about your kids playing. I thought they give all of effort. I don't remember anyone not running out of pop-up. I don't remember anyone running half speed to first base on a, on a ground out. Um, you know, there was a lot of hustle plays, and, and then they ran the bases extremely hard. There's a lot of softball left. It's just the beginning, but 5-0, and 46 to nothing. I mean, were you overall happy with the start to the season? Oh, I, I was elated and thrilled with the performance you know when I got home last night it was like almost surreal that it went as well as it did with that many you know there was times we were playing I think five and six freshmen on the field at a time and not to have an error moving kids around I think Stormy Kotsnick played first third and second and caught you know so we move a kid around four positions um we we had different outfield rotations throughout the weekend for them to handle all that, and there was no misjudged fly balls. It was not a ball that they, you know, someone didn't call it, so they all stop and watch it fall. It just wasn't any misplay. So it was really good. It was a good weekend. Jerry Glasgow, our guest, Rage Cajun softball coach. So, how do you? You're happy about no errors, but the opportunities weren't there as much either when you're pitching. Is <coughs> you know, when you strike out 50, I think only five walks. Um, you alluded to it at your press conference Monday, but. Uh, the pitching coach, Justin Robichaux, he, uh, I'd say he's off to a pretty good start. Yeah, Coach Robichaux, he's doing a really good job for us. He's developed a really good relationship with the pitchers. He's hustling and and really working the pitchers hard. Um, and they're enjoying the, they're enjoying the uh, feedback that he's giving them. And then, obviously, it's working. I mean, they the, the number of walks was very indicative of how much – uh, work they put in, how prepared they were for the weekend, and, and they were on the same page. I mean, the other thing, you think back about five games, I can remember maybe three pitches getting shook, shook off the whole weekend. You know, we didn't have pitchers out there shaking their head, um, wanting a different pitch. They were on the same page throughout the weekend. And all that's a, uh, all that's a result of just his hard work and the, and, the, and the pitcher's hard work. Was there anything that surprised you at all this weekend about your team? Uh, Taylor Roman's base running, you know, like she turned it on on game day. That wasn't the speed that we'd saw in practice, and understandably so. You know, she's been through uh, two ACLs, and um, that's a major comeback, and and she's, you know, should take care of herself in practice. We want her to take care of herself in practice, but I didn't know. I, it surprised me that she was ready to mentally – flip that switch and compete on game day 
with the amount of intensity that she ran the bases with. It was really inspiring to see her go from being, you know, a practice, a player in practice trying to be smart and intelligent about how she took care of her body and how took care of herself to going and, and becoming a competitor that played with reckless abandonment. And I thought Taylor flipped that switch. I, I didn't see that coming. I was just inspiring to me. No hesitation, no fear, mm -hmm. just, no, just all absolutely out. wide open and, you know, recklessly ran the bases. So really, really a good sign for our ball club and for her as well because sure. that's some athletes never are able to come back and play with that full aggression after going through something like that. Well, there's a mental aspect to it. Uh, Coach Jerry Glasgow, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports, UL softball, again, Nichols tonight, and then um, on the 24th against Alabama. We'll get to that in a minute, but I asked if anything surprised you. Did you, you know, you told us a story about how you told your wife, you know, we, we might might lose a few games this weekend, and if we do, just come talk to me before I talk to the media, right? Um, you didn't lose any games. So what did you learn about your team this weekend? I think I learned that if we if we do keep working as hard as we've been working and we, we can sustain that, that the the limit for this team will be really high. They can they can raise the bar really high if they just keep working really hard and stay with us. Don't change our approach. Stay stay hungry, stay humble. Um, just, you know, keep seeking ways to get a little bit better each day in practice and individually each player getting a little bit better each day in practice. If we do that, the, obviously we can be really a really good ball club in a couple of months. Is uh, it nine homers, I think? Yeah, nine, we, nine home runs, which are, you the know. The power is there in the lineup too, I think. That surprised me as well. Yeah. I mean, I we hadn't saw that this spring. Uh, I had figured up at one point last weekend we were hitting a home run in practice, mm -hmm. one ever 37 at bats. And if you go through the weekend, we hit nine to 129 at bats. So, you know, we were going about one every 14, 15 at bats last weekend. And then, of course, we had a lot of triples where Taylor Roman had three and I think our team had five. So, you had 10 doubles. So, you had, you know, almost almost 25 extra base hits, I think 24. So, that was, that was really a good thing, too, to see our club come out and hit the ball hard. And, and we hit shots. I, I thought the... The ground balls they hit were hit hard. Um, I was really proud of the way the, the team handled the bats. So Nichols State, and then don't play any games this week, and then you got Alabama. So nine days between games. It's early in the season. I guess as the coach, what's the benefit of the gap between the games, and then what's the downside? We'll play games. We'll play each other. We'll just go back. I know what now. I know what we did in January was, and February was a, <coughs> a really good tune-up for the season. <coughs> and that's my plan for this week is we'll play Nichols on Tuesday night and then we'll scrimmage against, um, you know, Kendra Lamb and Megan Shorman and Carly Heath and Sam Landry and Vanessa Foreman. We'll, we'll get bat at bats and games against each other this weekend, make it really competitive. Um, and, you know, then we'll go get ready for Alabama on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. As far as uh, the amount of players you got to play, you told us, I want to play as many as I can before I kind of settle in a rotation. And as long as we're winning, I can really get to see a lot of different players. Were you satisfied with how many you got to see in the opening weekend? Yeah, I think I think we played every player um, other than uh, Frankie Izzard, who 
you know, we're kind of waiting still to see if we want to use this as a redshirt year or whether we want to put her back out in there to compete later in the spring. We're just kind of monitoring her comeback and, and let her ultimately she'll make that final decision what she wants to do. But other than that, we played all 16 position players and then we got all five pitchers working games at the veterans. And then, you know, we're, we're, uh, We've got a couple of pitchers that we're, we're developing in the bullpen. They're helping our team. They may be the MVPs of the team at the end of the year because they're throwing a lot of pregame batting practice and, and batting practice um, live hit, live arm sessions. That's really a, a, a luxury to have kids that can do that and throw really good uh, live arm to our players. Coach Glasgow has been our guest. Uh, UL softball against Nichols tonight, 6 o'clock, and then we will talk again on Monday and uh, each Monday throughout the season. Well, congrats on the start to the season, Coach. It's always good talking softball with you. Appreciate your perspective, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Look forward to it. and Lafayette. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Jay Walker in studio next hour. The Pelicans last night beat the Raptors by 30. A Raptors team that was 10-3 in their last 13 games. 7.1 net rating going into it. 10-3 in their last 13 games going into that game. They'd won their last five road games. They weren't injured. They used their starting lineup. And the Pelicans won by 30. Much needed. But Brandon Ingram, nearly a triple-double. C.J. McCollum hitting shots everywhere. It was uh, an impressive performance by the Pels. But the more difficult one comes tonight because it is the second game of a back-to-back. And it's against the Grizzlies team that, honestly, they are, since drafting John ja Morant, where the Pelicans had hoped they would be. The Grizzlies are 40-18. and 18. They are handling their business. They're one of the best teams in the Western Conference right now. They're in year number three of John ja Morant. They didn't make the playoffs year one, but they saw growth. They were in the playoffs last year, and now... They're just playing great ball. Morant's kind of put the team in a lot of ways his city on his back. They've won five games in a row. They've won eight of their last nine. And they get to take on a Pelicans team that'll be in the second game of a back-to-back. But a Pelicans team that, despite all the success the Grizzlies have had, and despite the fact that they're where the Pels had hoped they would be when they drafted Zion and are far from where Memphis is right now, if we're just being honest, They've beaten the Grizzlies most of the time when they match up against them. The majority of the time, they've beat them during this nice run that Memphis has had. But Memphis is uh, far and away the best team in the Southwest Division. Playing good ball right now. Should be fun tonight. Pelicans are fun, man. They're fun right now. McCollum getting comfortable. 
Had some more legs under him last night after the team had a decent rest. Pels are playing good ball. If you want to hear the radio call of the Pelicans, they air on our sibling station, Talk Radio 960. Now, we're not allowed to stream those games, but uh, you can hear it on the radio call. I know a lot of you reach out to me and say you enjoy it when you're on the road. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Just having someone, I mean, I don't, it's the last time the Pelicans had somebody that could play the two guard and play it the way that McCollum does. Like, as a score. I mean, I oh, I, I don't understand some of you. I mean, I was all for the McCollum trade. Started being rumored a few months ago. I said, pull the trigger if you can. You got to do it. Oh, but he's making $30 million. Oh, he's not tall enough. What? Guy is controlled. The guy is smart. The guy could just make buckets, man. Understands the offense. I don't know. It's it, Pels controlled that first half last night. They used their size against a smaller team. Valanchunas was terrific. I still don't understand how Jose Alvarado went undrafted and Herb Jones was a second-round pick, and those guys are having the roles they are. But things are looking up after a brutal Awful, awful start. Now, will Zion play this year? Again, I still lean toward probably not. Because that's where I've been all year with the Pels. That's where I've been all year. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Jay Walker coming in next hour. We'll have Terrible Tune Tuesday. We'll talk Raging Cajun Baseball. Head coach Matt Deggs for Louisiana will be on with me tomorrow for about uh, 10 or 15 minutes. UC Irvine, hell of a way to get the season started. We'll dig into that. We'll talk a little college hoops. And, you know, last week, Jay and I were talking about the Winter Olympics being the lowest rated that we've seen. No real interest around here. And then I know some people, have, you know, they were, I got, maybe I got one email about Sean White. But for the most part, it's been an extremely lackluster Winter Olympics. And then yesterday, the IOC decides that they were going to allow Camila Valeva to continue competing. She's a Russian figure skater who's only 15 years old, but is a superstar in certain parts of the world, particularly in that sport. She was the favorite to win the women's single, single competition when it began. And a lot of people say, oh, she's must-see TV. you got to see it. This 15-year-old, this phenom, this prodigy. And then guess what? Oh, oh, this, this Russian figure skater. Oh, my God, she tested positive for a banned substance. Are any of you surprised? No. But the IOC decided they were going to allow her to keep competing and then cancel any medal ceremony if she placed in the top three. And then the head of the IOC decided he just wasn't going to be available for any media questioning at all. Not just in regards to that, but for anything. Just cruising around, police escorts all over China, going to different events. Come on. We go back to the 2014 Winter Olympics. The first time Russia hosted uh, an Olympic game since, you know, the Soviet Union fell and they were no longer USSR. And the New York Times in 2016 uncovered this giant state-sponsored doping scheme. 
All kind of athletes then meddled. It was a big deal in Olympic circles. It was a very big deal. But, oh, well, they already meddled. Oh, it's Russia. Oh, it's done. And here you are now in 2022. And guess what? Their biggest star is doping. And instead of being banned, the head of the IOC is like, nah, we're good. We're going to make a decision. We'll take it to arbitration. Okay, we'll allow her to go. We'll allow her to keep competing. A minor, a Russian athlete and a minor is in the middle of a, of, of a doping scheme. And other athletes are ticked. Remember Shakari Richardson? The LSU alum who got barred from the summer games because she tested positive for marijuana that she smoked in Oregon where it was legal and the you know, arbitration. IOC's like, oh, sorry, rules are rules. Then you have this young 15-year-old who tests positive for a PED that increases blood flow during the Olympics. And they're like, no, nah, she can keep competing. But if she medals, we just we won't have the medal ceremony. What? Another reason I'm not bothering watching the Winter Olympics. Might watch hockey, maybe. Probably not. Got enough sports happening here. Cajun softball tonight against Nichols. Got Cajun hoops this week. You got Rage of Cajun baseball. The season gets underway Friday against... Number 14, UC Irvine, the Anteaters. Got a lot to get into. Jay Walker in studio next hour with me. We will dig in to some college baseball talk. Circle back to the Super Bowl with Jay for just a moment. And we got Terrible Tune Tuesday, plus open phone lines. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Everybody, welcome in to the 8 o'clock hour. Great Scott show on a Tuesday, which means Jay Walker is in the studio. Voice of the Raging Cajuns. My old cohort. Friend. Yo. Comrade. Comrade? Comrade. I am, I am not a Russian. I know. I was just, it was stuck I in do, my mind. because I, I do was like vodka. Reading it. Actually, I don't like vodka. Reading Buck is okay with me. I, I mean, it's all right. It's all right. You know, you, you go with the, you go with the dark stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm a brown liquor guy. I go with. I don't drink liquor much ever. Um, I say I, not much. A few times a year. Saturday was one of those times. I had some vodka, and I'm, you know, in my 40s. Jam still recovering here, and it's Tuesday, so I understand. I'm having a hard time putting my arms around you in your 40s. <laughs> I'm having a really difficult time with that. Yeah. Yeah, here we are. I mean, does your mind work? When I think of, like, years, it's it's a little fuzzy since I had my first kid. Like, my memory of, like, sports and stuff is really good pre-2015. And after that, it kind of gets mixed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, you know, dad brain, I guess. But, like, when I think of certain 
years, whether it be in my life, whether it be in my past. Maybe you do it with music, right? I mean, we are doing TTT later. But for me, it, it always just is like the sports reminds me of what year it was. If someone's like, oh, do you remember when this happened in your life? I'm like, well, this football game was that. Yeah, it was. And then I fill in the year. Like the sports calendar is kind of like my memory of the years. What, what Do you do that? Like another baseball season coming up Friday. Like, do you do all the years come back to you as far as, okay, I remember the exact season. It was when this happen or do some of them kind of run together some of them kind of run together but usually i can differentiate not always do you think it's going to be 2022 is going to be one of those years that you're like yeah i remember that year i remember that season god i hope so cal irvine nationally ranked Mm mm-hmm They've, in terms of opening weekend non-conference opponents, this is this is one of the better ones that have well, come. Well, you know, they had Texas a few years ago. Um, but as far as home opening weekends, there hadn't been, uh, hadn't been too many better than this one. Um, Irvine is good. They, uh, they're, and they're good in all three facets of the game. They can swing the bat really well. Um, they got a very good pitching staff. And they're one of the best defensive teams in the country. And they've got seven position players back from last year. Their top three pitchers are back, two starters and their their bullpen guy. Um, they're, they're just a very solid college baseball team. And, um, man, it's going to be lit this weekend. I'm just excited. Opening weekend. I mean, anything's possible. You got, even for teams that have a lot of returners or a lot of experience together, um, I it, that two-lane series last year to open the season, I think back, and then how it played out, and then how the season played out. There's just a lot of uncertainty and things teams are still trying to figure out. Like any, I don't know, I guess some people say, oh, well, you might want to have them later in the season. I'm like, if you're going to, Play Cal Irvine, play him right out the gate. Oh, let's go. Yeah, let's hook it up. Do it. Let's hook it up. Um, you know, uh, the Cajuns will have a good scouting report. I, I don't know if Irvine will have as good a scouting report because the Cajuns have a lot of new faces. And, you know, Matt Deggs hasn't announced yet who's uh, who's going to go out first. He did say he's going to pitch three or four guys every game. Okay, so you're talking about nine to 12 arms that he plans to use this weekend. And everybody will be on a pitch count, which is normal for the first series of the year. And I would I would guess that uh, Coach Orloff from UC Irvine is going to do the same thing. Not going to announce the starters yet. They'll probably do that later this week. Yeah, I think he uh, said Thursday. They yeah, they they've got an idea. They they know think who it's going to be. Their speculation could it be Shiflet, Menard, Toit. I don't know. I mean, I, I think you're, regardless of who starts, I think you're going to see a whole lot of arms this weekend. You are. And with the bullpen, you know, in terms of pitching, that's where you have a lot of your experience and guys that I guess the fans are familiar with because they've seen here before. Um, but in terms of the starters, you know, you, you're probably going to have some new faces. You're going you're gonna to start learning about these guys when you watch them this weekend. But the outfield, that is something that, you know, I'll talk to Degs tomorrow. I'm going to ask him about Tyler Robertson, you know, you might play him at third. You've got a number of guys that you've seen in the outfield that might be playing in the infield. 
I think it just tells you about how much athleticism and how good they're going to be, how deep they're going to be when it comes to the outfield. When I when I saw them play in the fall, I was amazed at the at the ground that the outfield can cover. Speed. You know, it it's yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hard to get it in the gap against these guys because they they're going to run down some balls. Um you know, is TR going to be in right field? Is he going to be at third base? I mean, who knows. Um you know, I we know that um, that Marshak's going to be in center field. I mean, that that one I'm pretty sure about. Texas Tech transfer. And then, uh, you know, the question is, uh, you know, who plays left, who plays third? Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure, okay, that the opening night lineup will have Rockefort at first base, Lede at second, DeBarge at short, um, Brockett, Brockett catcher, and Marshak in center field. Now, the rest of it, the other four positions in the DH, uh, we'll find out. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Phone lines are open for you this hour, 337-269-1077, 337-269-1077. You can email us as well, scott at espnlafayette.com, and you can uh, tweet the show. Uh, at ESPN Lafayette is the Twitter handle if you want to get involved that way. How's the Sun Belt going to be in baseball this year? Um. I think that I think South Alabama is clearly the favorite. All right, they they return um, the bulk of their pitching staff, which is what carried them last year. And so I think that uh, I think they're the odds-on favorite. I, I I don't know of anybody that knows this league that wouldn't pick South Alabama um, as the number one team. I think that uh, you've got you've got the Cajuns. And I got to believe Coastal Carolina is going to bounce back from a tough year a year ago because they're Coastal Carolina. And, uh, and I think Georgia Southern is going to be um, in the thick of it also. Troy has a new coach, curious there. Um, I want to see if Texas State, that Texas State was picked to win the league. They finished last. You know, I want to see about that. Um, you know, I think after the four that I mentioned, though, I think you got a gap till you get to the rest of it. And I think that I think it hurts the league when you start talking about possible at large teams. That's where I was going next. Because yeah. the because I don't think the rest of the league really helps you from an RPI standpoint. Um, you know, that last year they said, OK, we're going to play 24 conference games. We're going to have two buys. Go schedule somebody. Uh, and then, you know, some of the coaches said, oh, it's too hard to schedule in the middle of the season. So they did away with it. I don't think they did themselves any favors there. Um, but I, you know, South Alabama, Coastal, Cajuns, Georgia Southern. Those are the those are the four that I think are, are, are going to fight it out. Uh, and it's um, they don't play Coastal. They get Georgia Southern and South Alabama at Russo Park. So you get a little a little schedule break there. I gave you even odds on the Sun Belt maybe being a multi-bid league this year. You you taking the odds, yes or no? I am. Okay. I think they're going to get two in this year. I mean, you, you talk about some of the names in there. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Coastal because it's like, they won a national championship a few years ago. And yeah. because last year was a rough year for them, it's almost like, I don't know. I mean, it. 
Well, well yeah. oh, they're yeah. also way over there. Yeah, it's like, you know? oh, yeah, they're, and, they're, and, in, the, they're and in the league. And we don't play them this year. <laughs> they're you in know? the league. And we yeah, didn't play right. them in football either. Right. Um, so, yeah. But, no, Coastal, I know that Gary Gilmore likes this team. And if Gary Gilmore likes this team, that does not bode well for the rest of the league. Um, over in Baton Rouge, how do you think Coach Johnson's going to do in his first year there? I think he'll do fine in his first year. Um, you know, I are they one of the top three teams in the Southeastern Conference? I'm not sure I want to go that far um, because there's some really good teams in the Southeastern Conference. But but I think I think they'll be fine. Um, I think that he's going to have them in in a position, perhaps, to host a regional. We'll see. Baseball's here, man. Softball opened up their season last week. Head coach Glasgow on a little while ago. Um, it's funny he was. He told us yesterday that he going into this year, the the weekend. I know they played five games. He told his wife, "Look, we might lose a game or two here, and you, if we if we lose one, just please come talk to me before I I talk to the media, so I don't you know, just essentially I took it as just calm me down, so I don't say something I regret." Right. Uh, they didn't lose. Uh, they were five and zero. Um, Forty six to zero was the combined score of the five games. They had 50 strikeouts, only five walks. And, you know, defense, there were no errors, which was a big part of it. Now, when you have 50 strikeouts, you, you're not the opportunity. You know, the, the margin of error is certainly slimmer. Um, and and we don't know yet how good those teams are or aren't. All I know is you had, you know, 12 newcomers and a lot of people played. They showed more power than than than, than I anticipated. I mean, folks can say, oh, well, uh, we'll see what happens in Alabama next week. You couldn't have had a better start to the season, I don't think. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you can try to poke holes or whatever you want. You could not have had a better start. I think UAB with their number one pitcher and North Texas are very respectable teams that are going to do well in Conference USA. Um, UAB's second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth pitchers obviously aren't ready to face a team like the Cajuns. Um, Texas Southern's not great, and I didn't think Tulsa was very good either. Um, so, but they but they did play a couple of teams that I think are very respectable teams and beat them by a combined score of seven to nothing. Um, I, I'm with I'm with Jerry Glasgow and something that you just said. Okay, they didn't make any errors, and that's great. But you know, half of the half of the outs were strikeouts. So you know, let, let's see on a day where you're not punching out eight, nine people a game, see how your defense plays then. Um, I The people that saw him in the fall and early spring thought that maybe that was the area they were most concerned about was the defense, but they did they they did fine. Are they ready to play Alabama? No, I don't think they are. Um, but that's okay. That's totally okay. They got Nichols tonight, 6 o'clock, and I asked Coach Glasgow in the last segment, what do you do with this gap? And he said, you just prepare for Alabama. We play each other. So we're going to play this weekend. We're going to play, you know, games. We're going to, we're going to try to simulate as much as we can. We're not going to, we're not going to take a break. The season's just started. And he said, we're going to game plan. We're going to prepare for Alabama. Um, Thursday game. It's just the, the dates of everything are a little weird here during this overlap because next weekend you have baseball kind of earlier in the day and then basketball's on a Wednesday and Friday, but we'll have it all for you. Jay's really busy this time of year. Scott um, doesn't know how busy he's going to be at 9 o'clock this morning. 
Uh, <laughs> um, you're meeting him at nine? No, I'm meeting you at nine. Oh, okay. Well, you're here right now. I know. But but I think we'll wait on the stuff we need to talk about. Until, <laughs> it's, and, that, it's that time of year. It won't it won't take long with you. Okay, it's that, it's that time of year. Um, but I'm, I mean, here we go. Baseball. Um, once it once it gets started this Friday, you have the full on overlap. But I'm excited. Uh, looking forward to having Degs on tomorrow. And you know, football ended officially last Sunday. Maybe for some folks, it it had already ended. It hadn't for me. Uh, the playoffs were awesome. The Super Bowl was entertaining. How'd you feel about the halftime show? It was lit. You liked it? I absolutely loved it. See, it felt like to me, and by the way, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like to me very much, again, go back to my age, it was like, okay, they're going for Gen X, older millennials. Like, that's what this is for. You know, Gen Z... Boomers, now you loved it. Maybe maybe this isn't for you. Now, they had Kendrick Lamar in there, which I don't... I know who he is. I don't know his stuff. That was for, I guess, the younger crowd. But, man, there was there was so much nostalgia for me in that whole thing. I yeah. Was, I, I, I guess I was kind of excited, but, like, I don't know. My expectation wasn't that high, and then it started, and then, you know, I was just like, dang, man, this is bringing me back, and everybody I was watching it with, everybody was, like, enjoying it, and my friends were texting, like, God, this is great. I think a lot of folks my age probably didn't like it, but with a with the background in music that I have, I'm I'm not your average... Right. I mean, we're about to do a weird musical segment that we do every <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah, um, but, you know, it, for me, the show starts, and about 10 seconds into it, here's Snoop. And as soon as I saw Snoop... And the way he was dressed, and he starts rapping, and I said, oh, this is going to be so cool. Yeah, Snoop, and, has, Snoop has worldwide appeal. Yes. I mean, everyone knows who he is. I think I think a lot of people know who Dr. Dre is. Now, maybe some people hadn't heard him, uh, but chances are people that knew nothing about any of those artists, they still knew who Snoop Dogg was. Sure. And, and you know, Eminem and Mary J. Blige are, are good stories because Eminem now has been sober for 11 years, Mary J. Blige eight years. Um, so there's a human interest piece there mary j blige by the way still looks great um yeah good for her man i was yeah when she was performing in in her outfit i was like go well get, done well go done. get them girl yeah. it's not like she's like a spring chicken you no, know what i mean no i mean no and she looked great so no i loved the halftime show and then 50 cent makes a surprise appearance because he wasn't he wasn't part of the promotion heading in that's correct now you know nobody's ever going to beat prince i mean he okay. played purple rain in the rain yes and, you know, I, I unabashedly tell people how much I love Lady Gaga and I loved her performance at the Super Bowl. But this one, this one's probably just behind that. This one's number two for me. Okay. And, and, and I, I've heard a lot of people say it was number two for, number two number, for me. Number three for me. You know, and, and not to say that like the Rolling Stones and, and some of the older bands and performers that have played, I like them, but, you know, it didn't. When I heard him, it didn't bring me back to a time in my life where it was like, "This is, they got it." No, I I, I loved I loved the halftime the, show. Doctor Dre sort of like the mimicking, like he's producing the whole thing right then and there. Even though he would, but I loved the the set. It was like not overdone. It was it was great, man. It was great. Shout out to that. But when I saw it, I was and you know, I talked a little bit about it yesterday. I got a few emails, but I was like, 
halftime show is something that Jay and I used to talk about like in a detail lot. because that for you is like a big, big part of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Did you did you enjoy the game? I did, I did. Um, I, I was wrong. I figured if it was a close game, the Bengals were going to win, and if it was a blowout, the Rams were going to win. What well, was the close? The game played out very much like if you're Cincinnati, it's close. You win the turnover battle by two. You you know, I don't know. A lot of the the, the it, it the way it played out. You needed a big play somewhere in there because it was going to be hard to just consistently drive the length of the field against that D line. A lot of the way it played out felt like, okay, and here you go. And now you got a chance at late. People could talk about calls on each side, but the reality is Aaron Donald and the D line is what just, they absolutely, other than that 75 yard touchdown to start the second half, which, which was which, an OPI. Which, yeah. Right. You take that away. Cincinnati had 61 yards of offense the rest of the game. They had multiple punts. They had a turnover on downs. It was, and, and people could say, oh, well, Joe Burrow, Joe, but the, the old line was just getting absolutely roasted in the second half, and um, they couldn't get anything going. They were just trying to hold on. I mean, heck, the last drive of the game, they had it in Rams territory after two plays, second and one, and they couldn't get another yard. And you only needed nine more yards to, to get McPherson in there to at least send it to OT because he doesn't miss, but they couldn't, they couldn't stop the Rams' D-line. And, and look, you're second and one, okay? You throw a long pass and there's nobody there. Okay, that's a wasted down. <clears throat> On third down, you run the football, but Joe Mixon's not in the game. You're trying to catch him off guard because P. Ryan's a better blocker, and it's like, this isn't the time to get cute, guys. No. Like, and, it's, and, it's just... You're <laughs> and, and so, you know, look, L.A. had to get cute because they couldn't run the football, and that's why Cooper Cup wound up carrying the football for a crucial first down. Cincinnati can run the football. They don't need to be cute about it. And um, so I thought they got cute. And then uh, on fourth down, Aaron, Aaron Donald made a play. But, you know, it's interesting because when the Rams scored to take the lead, it was, what, minute 38, three timeouts. Uh, yeah. I said, two timeouts. I said, Bur- Burrow's getting ready to come back sure. and win this game. Sure. And I was sure about it all the way up until it was fourth down. And then I said, my God, if they don't convert this, they're going to lose this football game. It would have been hard. I felt like they needed a big play because if it had got to, just the, the fact that the offense only had 61 yards the whole second half after that play, I, I get why he's taking a shot on second and one, but the third one call was awful. And I also think he probably scrambles or maybe runs on one of those two plays if his knee didn't get, you know, injured. We don't know the extent of it. But he, he he wasn't that mobile after that point either. Right. But that dude, as 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 great as he is, if they do not get him a decent O line, he will not last long in the league. You, you cannot get hit as much as he did in last in the NFL. I don't care how tough he is, and he's tough as hell. We've said it. They got to get an O line, and if they don't, you know, and 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 this idea, oh, they'll definitely be back. That no, when you get there, you have. To win. There are no guarantees. Everyone thought Marino would get back. He was there in year two. Never got back to a Super Bowl. Breeze didn't get back after 09. And we can talk about the nefarious non-call and all that stuff. The reality is the Saints didn't. Aaron Rodgers never got back after he won his. We're talking about two guys that 
when they won theirs, were in their late 20s and went on to be two of the greatest ever and never got back and had good O-lines. So there are just no guarantees. Plus, it's the Bengals. I mean, as great of a story as it is, let's not act like this franchise has been, well, you know, oh, this is how you want to run things. Like, I don't – if I had to bet whether Joe Burrow will get back to the Super Bowl with the Bengals or not – I don't know what the odds would be, but if, if you forced me to put money, I would actually bet on no. The Bengals have been a very um, dysfunctional franchise for a long time, but they did go out and get seven starters on defense to build that part of their uh, football team, mm-hmm. and they did it very well. Yeah, I said it yesterday. Mike Brown is no longer going to the car dealership and buying something that's been used three times and has 200,000 miles on it. He's also not going and buying the shiniest brand new, you know, SUV four by four. He's buying the, this is going to run really well. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg, but you are going to have to pay a pretty good premium because it runs well. Like you look at the guy, the highest paid player on the Bengals is Trey Hendrickson, highest paid player. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Rams have all kinds of players making more than him. But to your point, like, I don't think they're going to go out and, like, break the bank on O-Lyman, but they'll probably say, okay, let's, let's get some guys with starting experience and let's improve here. They're going to buy some decent cars. They're not going to be bad cars. They're not going to be the best cars, and they're going to see if it works. If they, can, if they can go out and address it in free agency with a guy, with a guy, a guy and then use the draft to supplement that, if you get a guy... And then you get your first and second round pick or O-lineman and you hit on all three, then the Bengals are going to have a shot. But until they address that, no, they're not they're not going to have a shot. It's going to be tough to get back in the AFC too, man. That was I hope that they don't look back at the last thirty years at fourth and one or whatever, you know, or or a penalty here or a, or a missed opportunity there. I'm just so glad the one time the Saints went, they won, man. Oh, I know. Gosh. But Carolina and Atlanta got there twice, and they're over. Tampa Bay got there twice, and they won both of them. But it um, it was outside of the first round. It was a very entertaining, fun playoffs. And now we have over 200 days till the next season. You're in the thick of hoops. You got baseball. When are we going to have Major League Baseball, though, Jay? Good question. I don't think you're going to have it by April 1st or whenever whenever the, the season was scheduled to start. There are some takes out there, hot takes, of the damage this could do to MLB and currently its interest in the game. Are you buying into the dread of this is going to brutally hurt the game or is this is, uh, is there depend- some hyperbole here? It depends here? on how long this goes. You know, if if they miss a week or two of the season. No big deal. No big deal. And and let's remember that you've had 27 years of labor peace. Unprecedented in Major League Baseball since the unions and, and everything else. So, you know, the fact that you've got an issue right now. Okay, you've got an issue right now. Now, if this thing carries into June and July, then yeah, the, the, this is not going to be good. But if they if they miss a couple of weeks, no, I, I'm, I, I think I think they'll be fine. 
Um, I think that older fans, those that remember 1994, and the fact that there wasn't a World Series. Four Expos. Um, I think that those fans are probably going to be the ones that chirp the most because they're going to say, here we go again, because they still remember 1994 very vividly. I know I do. But that happened, like, what, middle of the season? Yeah. It was... It's weird when... I mean, the, the difference is when well, you don't even start playing as opposed to... Well, and, and let's also remember, they were late in starting the 95 season. Yeah. It didn't start on time. Right. Because they still couldn't get together and get their act together. Um, you know, uh, they, they, they need to figure it out, man. You know, it, I, I really think everybody's attitude is, come on, guys. You know, you're making a gazillion dollars, players, players union. You're making a gazillion dollars. Owners, you're making a gazillion dollars. Figure it out. Let's play ball. ESPN Lafayette, Scott Prather, Jay Walker. Last note on that I wanted to get your thoughts on was an ESPN report that came out that the union, um, the latest proposal by MLB to the players union was to trim a lot of minor league jobs. I think you have the domestic reserve list right now, which has a maximum of 180 occupants uh, during the season, 190 in the off season, And the league wants to say, no, we're going to reduce that number to, I think, maybe 150 uh, starting in 2023. That means you're looking at between 800 and 850 jobs just slash like that. And we talk about the minor league community. It's not like the pandemic has, has benefited the minor leagues. I mean, in 2020, 42 minor league teams were, were gone, just eliminated. I... I know, like, seeing guys and how hard it is to go through that system to get to the league, what kind of long-term ramifications could this have if if they decide to slash 800 minor league jobs? Well, it's going to make things more compact again. Um, you know, I don't like to see anybody lose their jobs, and I don't like to see any towns lose a franchise, minor league franchise. But let's face it, okay? You had too many teams. You had too many players, I would say, getting paid, but they weren't getting paid. I mean, because right. minor league players don't make pecan. And, and and a small percentage of them even get to AAA, let alone the big leagues. Make it out. So it's it probably needed to be smaller. Um, how much smaller does it need to get? I don't know. But I... I'm I'm a person who thought that the the retraction that they did and the fact that they they cut the the, the draft down to twenty, I thought both of those were good moves for baseball. What kind of impact does that have on college baseball? Well, I think you're going to see now more players decide to go to college. Okay. Now, I also think you're going to see this. Matt Deggs and I have talked about this. The, the, the other side of that pancake is it used to be if you weren't taken in, in the, really the top 10 rounds, there was a good chance you were going to say, no, I'm going to go to school. Mm-hmm. If you're drafted now, chances are you're going to sign. It's Yes. <clears throat> 
bigger pool of money for the ones that do go, not as many opportunities for guys to leave. Um, you've seen many players in your time, Jay, get drafted beyond the 20th round, still have eligibility left and bounce. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, the number of the ones that actually made it, I don't know that there are any that were drafted that late. Uh, not to say that they regret the decision. Some might, some may not, and some, you know, played in the minors for a while. But the point is, you've seen a lot of guys leave. And now maybe there's not as many turnover on rosters um, with with the changes here. And certainly if they slash all of those, I just think about those guys trying to live their dream and then suddenly it's like, see ya. Okay, you know, the last the last Cajun we saw play Major League Baseball is Jonathan Lucroy, right? Well, Trahan. Right. I'm I'm sorry, him him and Blake Trahan. Who was the last guy who had more than a cup of coffee in AAA? Now, Blake played there a lot, okay? Um, Austin got a few starts in AAA. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have... Chase did AA. He never got the triple. I, I'm going to... I'm going to um, I'm going to have lunch with a guy that I know pitched in AAA for a while, and that's Phil Devey. Um, Tell him I said hi. I will. But I don't know of Cajuns that, you know, played a whole season in AAA in the last 20 years. Yeah, because Baco, you're going back beyond 20 years. Well, and, and once he got into the big leagues, he, he stayed. He stayed. He did, he did spend some time in the minors, and he talks about it a lot, but... Again, this is over 20 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, it it's hard. It's hard to get to the big leagues. And, and there's a number of them that are currently in the minors, we mm-hmm. should point out, you know. But it's, it, it's, just, it's just hard. And, you know, some a lot of guys have gotten a double A. But, man, once you get, once you get to triple A... That pool's pretty small. You trim 800, <clears throat> 800 to 850 minor leaguers. Now you do not have the, what's the term they use? Basically just the bodies, right? Like, well, you have no shot to get into the majors. We just have you here so you can pitch to this guy that we hope will get to the majors at some point. That group of players who, in their mind, I think a lot of them believe, yeah, but I still got a shot I can show them. That's gone. So I think it changes how it's going to also change a little bit how some of these managers in the minors have to approach some of these games in the lineups. A um, lot, a lot of, a lot of moving parts to this labor dispute. Obviously, the big one that's going to get the national headlines is: Are they going to play or not? Right? Sure. Um, but the other aspect of it, when you start trickling down to the minor league system, slashing jobs, its impact on college baseball, there are a lot of. A lot of moving parts to this thing, as I like to say, right? There's there's a lot of layers to the onion. On the outside, it's they're gonna they're gonna get labor peace or not? Is it, am I gonna get to watch my team or not? But once you cut it open, there's a lot going on. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. It is Tuesday. I'm Scott. That's Jay. When we come back, it's terrible. Tune Tuesday. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hey, this is Rich Eisen, and you can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on The Rich Eisen Show. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. 
All right, everybody, welcome back in. It is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott. That is Jay. It is terrible. June. Tuesday. You've been warned. I'm going back to 1965 for a song that briefly was on the country charts. Hillbilly Rock is what it is deemed. On the B-side of a record by a group that went by the name Indian Head. Let's get right to it. It's not a long song, Jay. But it's terrible. From 1965, this is Behind the Fear on Terrible Tune Tuesday. Behind the fear, there's a scare. Behind the scare, there is bad nerve. Because of bad nerve. I'm scared of the dark When it turns dark I have nightmares Because of nightmares I'm a coward She challenged me And I'm the coward Behind the fear Look here On my face some goosebumps They're bigger than any I have ever seen She knows I'm scared It shows with all the goosebumps My life's a wreck Cause my gal's so low I'm going to go back to the 60s, too. 1969 today. Um, Melanie uh, had several hit records Hmm. in the early 70s. One of them, Brand New Key, was played on Terrible Tune Tuesday several years ago. Probably best known, though, for her song Lay Down Candles in the Rain, which was a, you know, she was one of only three female solo artists to perform at Woodstock. And um, and Lay Down Candles in the Rain was kind of about Woodstock. Um, so I had, had a lot of hit records in the 70s. I, you know, I could go ahead and rattle off five or six um, titles and that peop, a lot of people would know. This song was before Lay Down Candles in the Rain. Um, went to number one in France. Okay. But really... Um, 
you know, I think if this has got, had gotten played in the United States, that lay down may never have gotten played because they would have said, oh, my God, it's Melanie and thrown the record away. Because this is, this is not good, okay? Here's Melanie with Bobo's Party on Terrible Tune Tuesday.
Bobo. Man, my head has a Bobo after listening to that. No, no kidding, huh? And that, and that that song claimed to be a party? I guess. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I got a trivia question for Jay that I gave all of you yesterday. It has to do with Matt's and Joe's in Super Bowls at the quarterback spot. I have faith in you, Jay. We'll ask him next. Don't go anywhere. It's ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. What's up, Acadiana? This is Rich Eisen. Check out the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from noon to 3 and get your sports fix right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back to the great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette. Scott Prather, Jay Walker. Rage Cajun softball tonight against Nichols. 5.45 pregame, 6 o'clock first pitch over Eddie Vegerard Field at Lamson Park. Steve Peliquin, Bobby Niva have the call for you. All right, Jay, after Super Bowl Sunday, starting quarterbacks named Joe are now 7-3. and three. In the Super Bowl. Wow. Burrow's one of the losses. And I'll give you one of the other ones. It was Joe Cap for the Vikings. Well, that, now, see, that when. one I, I could have, you know. Way back when. I could have gotten that one. <clears throat> the other one that has a loss also has a win in the Super Bowl. God, you're killing me. Um, I would say that perhaps you were not a fan of this guy. Not Joe, was, Joe Montana? No, no, no. I didn't think from, so. From, oh, no. Montana won a and, bunch, and it's not Joe Namath. One. No, now those are, those are. Well, those are five. Let's see, Montana won four, Namath won one. So those are five of your seven wins right there. Right. This guy told everybody his name was actually said differently than it was. Oh, Joe Theismann. Yeah. There's one loss and one win. One other Joe that won one brings you to seven and three. Six and three. Okay, Joe. And it's in the Super Bowl era, and my God, I saw all of them, so I have no, I have no excuse here. Um, Joe Flacco. Wow, I know. I, I we'd have gone all day, and I wouldn't have gotten that one. <laughs> Matt's starting quarterbacks named Matt are one and two in the Super Bowl. Well, Matt Ryan. Who can forget twenty eight to three? Yeah, um, Matt. Um, Matt Stafford gets the first win for the Mets. Matt Ryan lost one in epic fashion, as the Falcons typically do. He didn't do this in the Super Bowl, but this guy once in a playoff game in overtime after the toss said, "We want the oh, ball and we're yeah. going to win." Right, Matt Hasselbeck. <laughs> yeah. Matt Hasselbeck. That was like a, you know, the, the the Steelers beat the Seahawks and it was like 21 to 10. There was a, a halfback pass. Like Roethlisberger had the worst quarterback rating ever for a winning quarterback in a Super Bowl, but wasn't one of the better Super Bowls. It was, was kind of lousy. 
I don't even care that it's funny that they lost that playoff game to the Packers, but I, I will always appreciate that Hasselbeck just like, I don't care, man. I'm getting, we want the ball and we're going to win. He leaned into the officials mic to say it yeah. at Lambeau and everyone booed the hell out of him. And then he threw a pick six. That's Jay Walker. We'll hear you plenty on the radio with hoops, baseball, all of it. Jay can't wait, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Matt Deggs will be on the show tomorrow working on some other guests as well. Dan Patrick is next right here on ESPN Lafayette.